brothers and sisters, as we prepare our minds and our hearts for God's word today, let us remember one very important spiritual truth for all of us who are believers. The key to understanding when it comes to the word of God, the key is obedience first. In other words, a willing heart, a heart that is willing to obey whatever God says in his word from the Holy Scriptures, even before we hear it. Even before we hear it. To obey God's word, whatever God says in his word, even before we hear it. That, my brothers and sisters, is the key to proper understanding. It's the key to hearing the word and doing the word. Now this morning, <clears throat> let me say, just as a couple of introductory, couple more introductory comments, the Lord uh, slowed me down a little bit. I was moving on to the next section of scripture, but needed to pause today and park, if you will, for a few minutes this morning. This may not be a very long message, but park at Mark chapter 6, verse 6. We ended there last Sunday. There we pick up today, and we'll stay right in Mark chapter 6, verse 6 today. And I think you'll see why in just a moment, by God's grace. Something very important happens in Mark 6, 6. And uh, the theme phrase is that he went about teaching. Jesus should have received a hero's welcome when he returned to his hometown of Nazareth, as we saw last week and as we said last week. But instead of reception, he experienced rejection. No rejection feels good. But this was the kind of rejection that must have particularly hurt especially since the people of Nazareth knew Jesus and his family so well. Or at least they thought they knew Jesus well. Sadly, it turned out that they did not know Jesus as well as they needed. Here is something interesting to ponder. Whatever they knew about Jesus and his background in Nazareth, it apparently had not occurred to them that they had never witnessed him committing sin. They never heard Jesus speak a sinful word. They never saw Jesus do a sinful deed. They could not honestly accuse Jesus of anything wrong, sinful, evil, or even selfish. In addition to all this, 
they acknowledged the miraculous powers of Jesus' wisdom and words back in verse 2 of Mark chapter 6. When they asked the question, what is, what is this that this man has been given? This wisdom and these miraculous works, where did they come from? Don't we know his people? He's Mary's son. He's, he's, we know his brothers and his sisters. They are all here with us. So they acknowledge very clearly that they know about Jesus' background, about his family, and so they would also know, even if they hadn't thought about it or considered it, that they never saw Jesus do anything wrong or do anyone wrong. And yet, instead of believing in Jesus, they chose to disbelieve. Now Mark chapter 6, verse 6, tells us how Jesus responded to rejection from those who were supposed to have known him the most. Verse 6 of Mark chapter 6 says in the NIV, he was amazed at their lack of faith. But then it goes on. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Now, if you have the English Standard Version, the ESV says it this way, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. That's verse 6 of Mark chapter 6. Jesus was amazed. Amazed? Yes, the scripture says he was amazed at their lack of faith. He marveled because of their unbelief. This is one of only two occasions in the New Testament where Jesus is said to be amazed by something. In Mark's gospel, people are repeatedly amazed by Jesus. We remember back in Mark chapter 1 at the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus was teaching there in the synagogue and the demon-possessed man emerged and Jesus expelled the demon uh, from the man and saved him and the people were amazed. They were amazed at his teaching with authority. And many other examples uh, that we have seen along the way up to this point, uh, all the way up to this point in Mark chapter 6. People are repeatedly amazed by Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, but only this once is Jesus found to be amazed in the Gospel of Mark. So here in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus was amazed. And the second instance in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 7, verse 9. Luke chapter 7, verse 9. There he was amazed by the 
faith of the centurion who believed that Jesus was able to heal his servant without Jesus having to be there in person to do it. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7. I won't take for granted today that you'll read it on your own. (laughs) So let's read it together before the Lord. Luke chapter 7. I'm reading from the NIV, beginning at verse 1. Now Jesus, by the way, had just finished uh, what Luke records as a series of teachings These, by the way, are the same teachings uh, back in Luke chapter 6, the same teachings that Jesus had done over in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But here in Luke chapter 7, as he is finishing his teachings, verse 1 says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master highly valued, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Not unlike, by the way, what Jesus had already done in the case of Jairus in Mark chapter 5, when Jairus, the synagogue ruler, came to him. So Jesus went with him. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, Don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, And he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Wow. You see, in this particular episode, what faith this centurion, by the way, who was a military, a Roman military officer, responsible for at least 100 or so men, was able, his faith was able to help him see and trust that Jesus could do what he was praying for, asking for on behalf of his servant without even having to be there in person. And he understood this by faith through the background of his military training. 
as one who was under authority and in authority, he would tell others what they needed to do, and they went and did it without him having to be there to do it or to be there to make sure they did it. And he had enough faith, in fact, so much faith in the power of Jesus that he knew that all Jesus had to do was just will that the servant be made well, and it would happen. And that's exactly what did happen in Luke chapter 7. One of only two times in the New Testament where Jesus is amazed. Here in Luke 7, it's positively amazed at the faith of the centurion. Back in Mark chapter 6, it's amazement, but it's not positive. It's negative. It's a negative amazement. You see, in our present episode of Mark chapter 6, Jesus was amazed at the lack of faith among the people of his hometown of Nazareth. Now, to be sure, it, I, it takes a lot. It would take a lot to amaze Jesus. <laughs> The Greek word for amazed in this context means that Jesus was deeply disturbed in this context of Mark chapter 6. Deeply disturbed and even astounded by their unbelief. His own hometown people, friends and family, astonished him at their lack of faith. If Jesus is deeply disturbed by unbelief, then God is deeply disturbed by unbelief. Think about it. Lack of faith in the Lord is viewed in the Bible as the most serious problem of human sin. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this. Hebrews 11 6, jot it down. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When the people of Nazareth refused to believe Jesus, they were refusing to believe God. When they rejected Jesus, they were rejecting God who had sent him into the world. John chapter 12, verses 44 through 45, the scripture says this, Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. John chapter 12, verse 44. You see, brothers and sisters, faith matters. Faith matters most to God. Faith should also matter most to us. Faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only faith that matters to God the Father. Think about it. 
Faith in God the Son is the faith that matters to God the Father. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way. This was in response to a discussion that he was having with the disciples. And where Thomas, one of the disciples, had spoke up and said to him, after Jesus said to them, uh, you know the way that I am going. When I, thought, when I think about that dialogue, by the way, Jesus obviously knew what he was doing when he said what he said to them. You know the way that I am going. Now, he knew what they were thinking, no doubt. Now, Thomas then erupts in response and says, Lord, we don't know the way you're going. We don't know where you're going. And for that matter, we don't understand what you're talking about. Jesus says in response to Thomas, who speaks for the group, no doubt, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Should we, like Jesus, be deeply disturbed by unbelief? The answer is yes. We should be deeply disturbed by our own unbelief. We should be deeply disturbed by our own unbelief enough to repent wherever we realize there's a lack of faith within our own hearts. And we should also be deeply disturbed and therefore concerned about unbelief within others. <clears throat> you see, brothers and sisters, because we live in this strange culture uh, today where it's none of my business, well, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. Well, you know something? Listen. <laughs> Every person must face God for themselves and must face God in their hearts for themselves. But actually, it is our business in that God has made it our business to pray for those who do not believe. We can't make anyone else believe. We cannot co coerce anyone else into believing. We should not even try to do such a thing. Coercion is not faith. But we should be concerned for those who do not believe. Deeply concerned. As Jesus was concerned and deeply disturbed, amazed is the word by the unbelief of his people in Nazareth. Let me also say this, and think about it for a moment. Who were these people in Nazareth? Yeah, there were his hometown friends and family and folks uh, who knew him uh, from childhood, yes. But there's more to that. They were also Jewish people. They were people who attended the local synagogue. Now, Jesus would say to the disciples that I'm sending, later that I'm sending you out to the lost sheep 
of the house of Israel. People who go to synagogue worship every seventh day of the week. So it's not, you know, it's not as though they aren't religious. It's not as though they don't know about God. It's not as though they don't know the Torah, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. It's not as though they don't know the law and the prophets of the Bible. They do. They did. Yet they were still lost. How do we know they were lost? We know they were lost by their reaction, their response to Jesus and their rejection of him. So are there lost people outside of the gathering of the church? Yes, of course. Are there lost people inside? Lost people who come to church? Yes, there are. And God knows who is who. God knows the difference because God looks upon the heart. Now, God does not leave us clueless because in Scripture, Jesus teaches us, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. So a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Here in the case of the people of Nazareth, they bore bad fruit. What was their bad fruit? Their rejection of Jesus their refusal to believe in him. I cannot speak for you, but I would never want to be known for lack of faith. I'd never want to be known for having a lack of faith. Lack of faith should be deeply disturbing, not only to the Lord, but also to us. Why? Because without faith, we cannot please God. And without faith, it is impossible to be saved. Without faith, it is impossible to walk with God. Do you have faith in God? Do you trust in God's Son who came into the world to save sinners? Have you truly trusted him alone to save you? <laughs> Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Blessed is the name of the Lord. In his amazement at their lack of faith, it also must have been personally excruciating for him to be rejected by all these people he knew and who knew him. Especially, especially when he was their only opportunity for salvation. This must have been particularly excruciating for the Lord. When we hurt, it hurts. But we're human. 
Can you imagine how it must feel when God hurts? I can't. I just know it is far beyond anything in my human capacity to get my head around. You think you hurt? You do. You think you have pain? Yes, you do. But God's hurt and God's pain includes yours. And not only yours, but everybody else's at the same time. That's the load that Jesus was carrying to the cross. That was the weight that he bore as he died on the cross. The evidence of it still exists to this day in the physical remnants of the spikes in his hands and feet. The scars from the crown of thorns smashed into his skull. The hole that still exists that was plunged into his side. It still exists. Did you know that? He's raised from the dead. He is alive forevermore with the same sinless body that became sin for us. In the book of Revelation, we are told that we will see the nail prints. They will forever be a reminder of the profound cost the profound pain that God willingly and intentionally underwent for us, for you and for me. Can you imagine how this made the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, feel on the inside, experiencing their rejection when he was their only path their only way to God. He would be the only opportunity. Jesus is the only opportunity to be with God in eternity. He was their only opportunity for salvation. This kind of rejection can be depressing, debilitating, and soul-crushing. But how did Jesus respond? You can imagine how it made him feel on the inside and therefore, just some sort of a glimpse by divine revelation from Scripture of how God felt about their rejection of his son and about how God feels about every person's rejection of his son. Now, you and I, we know and have experienced rejection if you haven't ever experienced rejection, keep living. 
Keep living. But usually it is the case that even children experience rejection. You know, they go to school, they go to elementary school, and they got some kid in the class who doesn't like them. Somebody else's child who may bully them and who may try to treat them as an outsider. I don't want you in my group. I don't like you. Children never have any legitimate reason for that kind of behavior except for the fact that, well, <laughs> they are sinners. And they come from sinners. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's the sinful human nature with which we were all born. So even children experience rejection, and it can be extraordinarily painful. And boy, just as painful, if not more painful, for parents who have to learn about this and who have to deal with it and who have to help their children deal with somebody who who is acting, uh, who's, who has an attitude of rejection toward their child. That's painful. And yes, God knows. God knows all about it. God knows all about your pain from rejection. God knows, not only does God know about it, not only does God know everything there is to possibly know about it, God not only knows it in the sense that we think about knowing, God knows it experientially in the deepest and most profound way. God knows your pain because God knew the pain of when you rejected him until you repented. And not only that, if you haven't repented, then God still knows the pain of your rejection of him. How did Jesus respond? The second part of verse 6 says this. Then he went around teaching from village to village. Now when you first see this, you may think to yourself, it really has no connection to what has just been said. As a matter of fact, in many of our Bibles, verse 6 of Mark chapter 6 is kind of split in terms of the typeset. It's as if this part of the verse should be in verse 7 rather than in verse 6. <laughs> but actually, no, it's it's perfectly positioned where it is for this purpose. While we may wonder, well, Jesus went on teaching from village to village, and so that's a transition now into a new subject matter, leaving the former subject behind. Not so fast. Because there's something we need to notice about this. Jesus went around teaching from village to village. So he did not argue with the people of his hometown who had rejected him. Neither did he allow his ego to be bruised by their unbelief. He simply departed from Nazareth and continued doing what God sent him to do. Jesus did not allow the pain of rejection to derail his purpose. 
Jesus experienced rejection of the worst kind. Not because he did anything wrong. He experienced rejection for us. For all who would believe in him. Just because he was rejected by his hometown friends and family did not mean he would be rejected elsewhere. And yes, he did move on. He moved on from there geographically. There were too many people who needed to hear the good news of the kingdom of God and who would repent and believe in the Lord. Rejection, my brothers and sisters, is never a reason to give up. Just because somebody or some people reject you is no reason for you to quit. You know why? They're not God. They're just people like you and me. They're not God. Because people reject you or may reject you doesn't mean God has. As we said, there were too many people who needed to hear the good news of the kingdom of God and who would in fact repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejection is never a reason to give up. Rejection is never a reason to give in. Rejection is never a reason to stop doing what God wants you to do with your life. In fact, if people reject us because of Jesus Christ, then actually we're in good company. So what did Jesus do when he was rejected by one group of people, even this group of people who were so close to him? He kept teaching from village to village. That's what he did. He kept doing what God sent him to do. And that's what you and I need to do. Keep going. Keep living. Keep serving. Keep loving others. Keep glorifying God. Keep worshiping God. Continue to honor him with your life. No matter who else may reject you. For God has not rejected you. And just because some people have, doesn't mean you should give up. And certainly doesn't mean you should give up on God. Even if you feel you have to give up on them. Pray for them. But keep living. It's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Quit, give up, throw in the towel, throw up your hands, say it's hopeless, and do away with your own life. That's what the devil would have you to do. Because anything that he can do to thwart the purpose of God in your life, he will do. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil? We saw this back 
uh, in brief summary in Mark chapter 1, it's uh, more fully developed in Matthew uh, chapter 4, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. You remember that the three times the tempter came to Jesus, all three times he was attempting to derail Jesus from the mission that God had sent him into the world to perform. Because if he could have stopped Jesus early on at that point, then the devil would not have had to worry about the cross of Calvary later. For at the cross of Calvary, Satan would be defeated. Defeated once and for all. But if he could somehow or another derail the Lord, from fulfilling that purpose. Well, you see, the devil wants to derail you and me from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. And he'll do it if he can get away with it through the attitudes of other people. In other words, he'll use the bad attitudes of other people to try and pull down our souls to crush our souls so that we despair, lose heart, quit, give up, and give in. Don't give up. Don't give in. Certainly don't give up on God. Remember, God has never given up on you. How do you know that, preacher? I know that in two ways. Number one, he went all the way to the cross and he did not stop. He did not give up, even though the weight of that cross was too heavy, even for Jesus to bear alone. They forced Simon of Cyrene to come and bear it for him up the hill called Golgotha. Jesus did not stop until he went all the way for you. But not only that, You know how I know God has not given up on you? You're still breathing. You're still alive. If you are still alive, don't overlook the obvious. It's God's will for you to still be alive. If it had been God's will for you to be dead and gone by now, you'd be dead and gone by now. The fact that you are still alive is God's will. And it's so obvious that some of us miss it. If you're alive, it's God's will for you to be alive. And for you to remain alive for as long as God has determined. Don't give up. As long as there is breath in your lungs, don't give up. He kept teaching from village to village. He went about He went among the villages teaching the word. Even though he was rejected at Nazareth, he was accepted by many, many others. One biblical commentator has rightly observed, and I quote, his teaching reflected his person and mission as one in whom God was at work through his words and deeds, establishing his redemptive rule in the lives of those who in faith would hear 
and respond, end quote. Jesus remained on mission despite experiencing rejection by his own people. You see, when we make the mission of God the most important priority in our lives, we can endure any opposition that comes against us. God's mission is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came into the world to save sinners. So let us be on mission for Christ. Let us stay on mission for Christ. That's what Christ did. He stayed on the mission that God sent him into the world to do. You know, I've often said through my many years now of being the pastor of this church that God willing, regardless to what happens, regardless to whatever difficulties and experiences that we go through or have gone through, if God is gracious and delays his return, then by God's grace, I used to tell people that you come back to this church years from now and guess what? You will see me standing in this pulpit preaching the same Bible, preaching the same gospel, preaching the same word of God that I was doing way back when. Why? Because that's the mission. That's the mission. That's the calling. Now what about you? You can't give up on the mission. You certainly can't give up on the mission because you got some family members or some friends or some people you value or people who have had, you know, some role positively in your life in the past because they have rejected your Christian faith or because they don't believe your Christian faith. They don't believe in the authenticity of it or somehow or another they don't believe in you because they know something about your past. You cannot allow what goes on and what goes wrong in somebody else's head to mess up your head and to mess up and muddle your thinking. Don't be confused. You have a mission from God as a Christian believer to fulfill. There's an old song that goes something like this. A charge to keep I have. A God to glorify. Keep your charge. Keep the charge, the mission that God has given to us. Keep doing it. Don't stop even when you're hurting. Don't stop. Because if you keep obeying God, guess what will happen? God's grace will overcome your pain. God's grace will overcome the pain of rejection. God's grace will sustain you from the inside out. Let us be on mission for Christ. Let us stay on the mission for Christ. Let us bring others on mission with Christ. Let us not be discouraged by negative responses from those who refuse to believe the message. Let us keep our eyes on the prize of God's eternal reward awaiting us. 
There is a great reward awaiting you. And yes, God wants you to desire that great reward and to work for it and to strain for it and to keep going for it, even when you don't feel like it, even when your mind and your heart and even your body does not seem to have the strength to carry on. God's grace is sufficient not only to strengthen you, but also to sustain you. Let us remember that God will replace all the rejection we experience with his great reward of eternal life and blessings forevermore. You know what? Let me tell you something. The reward that awaits far exceeds the trouble we endure now. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles. Well, they don't feel light and they don't feel short, but actually there will come a time, there will come a day when we will look back on them and they will have been light and momentary in the face of eternity and in the face of of the sovereign God for our light and momentary troubles will give way to the weight of the eternal glory of the awesome and sovereign God who will reward each and every one for his or her deeds of faithfulness to him. Remain faithful even when others are faithless. Keep the faith even when others don't. And remember this, even though some people may reject you, God has not rejected you. He has never rejected you. He has promised us in his word in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8. Here it is. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouragement and the encouraging power of your awesome word. Thank you, oh God, for the faithfulness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that even though he was rejected by his own, he continued to usher in the kingdom of God, to preach the message of God's grace, to be the message of your grace to us, to a lost world. And, oh God, we are thankful that he did not stop, that he did not give up, but that he went all the way to the cross of Calvary for us. Because in going all the way, you would eventually raise him from the dead. And oh God, we thank you and praise you that by the power of the resurrection, no amount of rejection that we may receive and experience in this life can ultimately prevail. Thank you, O oh God, for your goodness, your mercy, 
your grace and your presence with your people. Now, O oh God, we pray for anyone under the sound of my voice, whether they're hearing this message now or in the future, we pray for anyone under the sound of my voice, O oh God, who is feeling rejected, who is feeling dejected, who is without, without you, O oh God, without Christ in the world. We pray right now that by the power of your word and the aid of your Holy Spirit, O oh God, we pray that they will know, come to know even now of your gracious love and your gracious presence and your open arms of salvation made available to them through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins, who rose again, who is soon to return to judge the living and the dead. Oh God, may the sinner repent and believe in the gospel of God, in the gospel of Jesus, even now. And may that soul indeed repent and be accepted into the arms of your grace and adopted into, the, into your great family of salvation. Thank you, O oh God. We pray for those among us who are believers, O oh God, who are suffering and struggling with the pain of rejection, wherever it may have been, wherever it may be, Lord, in their lives. We pray, O oh God, that your grace will overcome the pain the suffering, the sorrow, and the discouragement of rejection. And we pray, O oh God, that your grace will lift up and strengthen the soul of every believer who trusts in you. For we look to you, O oh Lord Jesus, for all our needs. Thank you, O oh God, for your grace. And may your word accomplish your purpose in each of our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen.